Welcome to the Investor Download, the podcast about the themes driving markets and the economy now and in the future. I'm your host, David Brett. Cash-strapped governments have been looking at ways of unleashing private investment to help finance much-needed infrastructure projects, meet climate goals, and boost flagging economies. There's definitely a focus from governments around the world um, to try and crowd in pools of private capital into areas of the economy that can help fuel economic growth. That's James Lowe, sales director at Troders. The latest initiatives in the UK and Europe involve the creation of long-term asset funds. And the aim? To try and um, get more pensions capital into private markets, um, particularly private equity, uh, innovative companies in the UK, um, to try and fuel new growth through, um, through new companies' development and hopefully um, grow some, some very interesting new innovative UK PLCs that will then eventually list on, on the London Stock Exchange. The schemes in the UK and Europe in some way mimic high-profile plans that have long been in place in other parts of the world, such as the Middle East and North America. In this show, I speak to James about the UK's plan. We'll discuss the pros and cons, what can be learned from similar schemes in the rest of the world, and how LTAFs might transform the economy. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, you're listening to the Investor Download. James, welcome to the show. How are you? Good, thanks. Thanks for having me on, David. No, no problem at all. Uh, from the looks of it, you, like me, are bunkered at home today. We are indeed. Um, train strikes are a real thing. Hopefully, we can uh, we'll get back to work soon. <laughs> Yeah, we just keep getting snookered by these uh, train strikes. But we're not here to talk about uh, train strikes. We're here to talk about um, something called LTAFs, uh, which I would guess the majority of people outside the investment community probably don't know much about. They certainly don't know what it stands for. So let's let's start with the basics. Uh, can you just let us know, what does an LTAF stand for? Yeah, so, so David, an LTAF is a long-term asset fund. Um, a long-term asset fund it's interesting, actually, thinking back to some of the history of this. It started back in 2019 when Rishi Sunak was actually um, in the Treasury, um, but actually didn't launch until 2021. Um, and it's then taken us another couple of years to get to the point of actually having products in the market. So an LTAF is relatively new to a lot of people, although it has been around for, for longer than you might think. What it actually is, is a new category of FCA being the Financial Conduct Authority, the financial regulator in the UK, authorised fund. Um, it's open-ended in nature. Um, it's also evergreen, so it invests perpetually. Um, and it's really been designed to specifically allow um, a broader set of investors to invest efficiently in long-term illiquid assets. And when I say liquid assets, I'm generally talking about private assets like private equity, venture capital, infrastructure and private debt. And what would be the one-line pitch you might put to a retail investor as to what an LTAF is? So it, it's a good question. And it, it's, it's one of those questions which is difficult to answer at this point in time because we don't actually have any retail LTAFs yet. So I would be pitching something that's hypothetical here, but I will give you a pitch nonetheless. I mean, so, so we're just taking a step back, where does the LTAF fit for a retail investor? Um, if you look at how the UK private asset 
ecosystem has developed over the last few years. Um, what we had about five years ago is two key structures. We had the Investment Trust, which a number of the listeners might be more familiar with. That's a closed-ended daily dealing fund, um, and a number of them do invest into private asset and illiquid investments. And that's been a great vehicle for um, retail investors to be involved with private markets development over the last number of years. The other structure we had um, was a very institutional structure, which is called a limited partnership structure. Um, and that's a structure that lots of pension funds and, and bigger institutions are using. But it means that you had to lock up your money, um, invest it for a long period of time with no access to it, generally over a 10 year period. So not so applicable to retail investors. What the LTAF is, is somewhere in the middle of this. So it doesn't give you daily dealing um, where you can trade it on an exchange like an investment trust, but it also doesn't lock your money up for a very long period of time. So what we have here is a structure the FCA um, is now approving and bringing to market for retail investors that sits in the middle. Um, and so it's what we call a semi-liquid, uh, somewhere in the middle of liquid, liquid and li illiquid, which makes a lot of sense, private asset vehicle. Okay, like you said, we do have investment trusts and other vehicles within the market that do already invest in private assets. So why do we need LTAFs? So that, that's a really good question. I, I think it goes back to my comments around where this sits in the UK market ecosystem. I think it, it's it's useful to um, to take a, another step back here and look at the development of private markets and why we need sort of a broader selection of structures for investors. We've gone from, at the start of the 2000s, a market that was sub one trillion globally in value, which has now increased over tenfold to 13 and a half trillion dollars of AUM. So we've seen a huge amount of growth. Um, within that growth, we've seen new structures emerging. We're using old structures like investment trust, but we're also now seeing new structures like the LTAF. Why do we need new structures like the LTAF? Um, there's a couple of reasons, and it really comes down to what consumer preference is. And then you start getting into a conversation of what are the pros and cons of each types of structure. So if you look at an investment trust, for instance, if you're a uh, investor that wants daily trading, daily liquidity, and also access into private markets, uh, then that is a fantastic vehicle um, to put your money into, and it makes a lot of sense. The downside of an investment trust for an investor is that you also get volatility. Um, so the price is set by supply and demand dynamics in the markets, on an exchange. And so in the time where you want your private markets allocation to be diversifying for you um, and to give you a different type of movement to what you might have in your public equity allocation, for instance, you do generally find an investment trust that the investment trust market moves quite um, in track with what you see in the global equity market as what we call global or public equity market beta um, in the industry. Um, so what does an LTAF therefore provide you that you can't get at an investment trust? LTAFs are different because they get priced at the net asset value, the NAV of the, um, the underlying asset base. So you get a performance within an LTAF that much more um, closely tracks the underlying performance of the actual asset base. So in periods where the equity market sells off or your bond market sells off, you should um, see a slightly different, based on historical returns, obviously we can't forecast what's going to happen going forwards, you should see a slightly different type of return profile that you wouldn't get 
in the same way in an investment trust. So that's where it really fits in here. A more stable return profile or can it be just as volatile as public markets? You would expect it to be more stable. Um, but the, the thing to be aware of is that generally that these vehicles are going to be valued on a less regular basis. So on the investment trust side, you have daily valuation, continuous valuation on the exchange, um, whereas in an LTAF, um, just to give you a bit of background to how these um, these products will deal, um, you can only have at least monthly dealing on an LTAF. So you can only come in and out um, on at least a monthly basis. You can't do weekly, you can't do daily, which means that they're going to be priced on a monthly basis as the most frequent type of pricing, which means that you should see less volatility, at least intraday. It's not to say if you looked at the mark every month of an investment trust versus a LTAF, it wouldn't be dissimilar, but you won't get that daily sort of price volatility that you would expect to see in an investment trust. Okay, and where's the demand for LTAFs come from? Does it come from investors themselves or from elsewhere? Yeah, so the initial demand we've seen has been from the defined contribution market, and that's really um, an outcome of where the regulation started. So the real focus at the outset of LTAFs back in 2021 um, was to try and um, open up the defined contribution market to private capital. And this is really um, one of those themes that um, the government has been sort of uh, pushing more broadly at the moment around mansion house reforms, uh, where they're trying to find new pools of private capital in the UK um, to bring it into more productive finance mechanisms that can drive economic growth um, and also contribute to things like um, meeting our net zero targets. Um, and one of the ways we're doing this is through um, trying to um, provide greater access to private markets through a different pool of investors, which is defined contribution pension schemes. Um, so that's really where the demand has come from to start with. Um, what's really exciting now and quite a recent development is that in June this year, um, the FCA published some new rules um, which effectively open up the access of to LTAFs to retail investors. Okay, great. So I think we've explored LTAFs and what they are uh, fairly broadly there. Um, in the next part of the show, we're going to discuss why LTAFs now and look at some of the pros and cons. Get in touch with us by email at shorterspodcasts at shorters.com or visit our website, shorters.com forward slash investor download. Okay, so, so James, in the first part of the show, we looked at what LTAFs are. Now, private investments, as you, which is your, what you're saying is what LTAFs are mainly going to be guided towards, they seem to get a lot of attention in the mainstream media these days. Why is that the case? I think it's to do with the growth of the market, really. Um, we've gone, as I said, from a position where private markets were a relatively niche asset class. I mean, in 2000, they were under a trillion dollars of market, market value. Um, and through two decades, we've gone through effectively a private market super cycle, and we find ourselves at 30, over 13 and a half trillion today. So um, what was once a relatively niche exposure in an investment portfolio is now very much a mainstream portfolio exposure, um, particularly in the institutional market where you see endowments, pension funds, sometimes with um, allocations to private markets that are over 20% in some cases. So it's just become much more mainstream. I guess the, the other point to make is the areas that private markets are touching 
are really important within the real economy. So things like the development of renewable infrastructure, the development of AI technology, um, social housing in the UK. There's lots of areas that are really important to um, the global economy and the UK economy that are being funded now through private capital in a way that they weren't two decades ago. What are the benefits of investing in, I suppose, investing in the private assets, but via an LTAC? There's a couple of key benefits of private markets that are often cited. Um, firstly, and I think one of the most interesting structural shifts we're seeing is the ability to invest in a broader range of investments than it's possible to achieve through public markets. Um, and I think what just using the, the US equity market as an example, um, what we've seen in terms of a trend in the US equity, public equity market over the last um, 25 years is a halving of the number of publicly listed companies on the US exchange, which means that effectively what's happened there is if you're a US public equity market investor, your universe has shrunken significantly. Now, there's, there's some very good reasons and they're not negative necessarily as to why that's happened. Um, we've seen lots of M&A, so we've got a smaller number of large companies. Um, we've also seen take privates um, as private equity companies with lots of dry powder have come in and, and taken some big companies, um, which have been all, all in the media, um, private. Um, but I think one other thing that um, is worth noting on this is that companies are generally staying private for longer, which means that there's being there's less IPO activity in general, um, which means that there's less new companies going on to the exchange for various reasons. Another stat I just sort of give you here, which I think is quite interesting and informative on this, is that if you look at all companies in the US which have revenue over 100 million, so highly revenue generating companies, uh, companies, 85% of them are in private markets. So I guess one of the reasons why you might think about investing in private markets in the US and public e private equity in the US is because if you're not, then you're missing potentially 85% of the universe. And that's to, within a backdrop of a shrinking public equity market. So, so that's one of the main reasons we think that um, institutional investors have been investing into to private equity uh, particularly in the US as, as an example there. Um, and one of the other reasons is diversification. So again, sort of it, it follows as a as a logic that if you are um, able to invest in a broader range of economic exposures and different types of companies in a market through accessing the private companies, then you will be able to achieve more diversification in your portfolio. And if you look at correlations, then that is something that is, is clear in the data. Um, and also, just simply, if you look at long-term historical return data, we have seen a an excess return or a, a return pickup, uh, a premium, you could say, to public markets and private markets. And you can again, you can see this in long-term data, and it's really one of the reasons as to why, again, institutions have been investing into to private markets um, so substantially over the last twenty years. Hey, we've had some high profile cases, certainly in the press over the last few years of funds getting themselves into trouble because they're investing in private assets. What makes LTAFs any different? Yeah, this is a really critical question and particularly in the UK market context where we've had um, 
a lot of noise around, um, quite rightly so, around open-ended property, which um, was daily dealing and, and then gated and sort of locked investors into the funds. And we've also had Woodford. So those are two very sort of acute um, examples that we've had in the UK market, which really hones the focus onto this, this as a topic. What LTAPs do is quite different in concept to what we saw in open-ended property, using that as an example. So, so what we saw in open-ended property was putting illiquid property assets into a wrapper that was investor-friendly, effectively, um, which was daily dealing um, and worked within the, the UK ecosystem. Uh, and that didn't work because you had a liquidity mismatch, which effectively means that um, the dealing terms of the fund didn't match the ability to liquidate the underlying assets and get the money back. So you could pay money out of the fund. So they had to gate the fund. What the LTAF does is effectively turns that on its head. So the FCA within the LTAF rules mandates that you must align the underlying liquidity of the assets to the dealing terms. And you've got to be able to demonstrate that when you go through the FCA approval process. Risk in private markets has a very large spectrum in the same way that risk does in public markets. So if we look at investment risk, so returns and the volatility of those investments, there is a huge spectrum all the way from very high risk early stage venture capital, where you're taking a stake in a unproven, unprofitable company that you think is going to be the company of the future, through to something that's much lower risk, like an operating wind farm, in the UK where there's government subsidies and you can model the cash flows out very nicely for the next 30 years. So investment risk in an LTAF and private markets context is, I say, very similar in terms of what you see in public markets context, where you can also invest in a low risk on portfolio or you can invest in an emerging market small cap equity fund. So, so, like, so when you're looking at LTAF risk, there are a range of risks you can take within an LTAF. The other risk then is liquidity risk and that's one i think that sort of gets stuck to um as a badge on private markets um, as being the main risk and i think that's where as an investor you need to think about what is your time horizon of your investment can you take a long-term time horizon it's called a long-term asset fund for a reason and that's because the expectation is that this is a long-term investment for an investor um what ltaf's do do though is provide flexibility for investors to get out in normal market conditions. I think that's the big difference to what a lot of the big the um, institutional structures do, which they don't let you come out at all. So, so you've got to be th if you're thinking about what the risks are investing in this in, in this in, in this LTAF, think about what the investment risk you might want to take is, but then also think about what time horizon can I feasibly make this investment on. Um, and if I couldn't get my money out quickly, would that be an issue? Because the reality is, is LTAFs are, are structured to get money out in a normal market condition, but not when markets are all sort of falling away. And that's where, if you think that's a problem, you should be looking at the investment trust market because the investment trust market has got lots of great private asset exposure you can get. Um, and you would be able to get on it, get out in any particular day, if you needed your money back, you just might get a really big discount to the net asset value and, and lose some money in that way. So it's, there's, as with all, all products and all markets, there's a spectrum of risks, illiquidity, investment risks, and you've got to try and 
think about all these things when you're making these these investments. So in the final part of the show, we now know all the, uh, uh, the risks and uh, benefits of LTAFs. We're going to look at what we might expect LTAFs to deliver in the future. So we've looked at the uh, pros and cons of the LTAFs. So, so what, what sort of areas are we talking about that LTAFs are more likely to invest into? So it's still relatively early days on the areas that LTAFs will invest in, um, purely because there's actually only three in market at the moment, but we're expecting a number more to come before the end of the year. But one thing I think we're already starting to see is that LTAFs are likely to be more globally focused, highly diversified type products. And one of the main reasons for that is that um, as you're trying to generate this underlying natural liquidity into portfolio, you want lots of different cash flows coming from lots of different areas. So you're not exposed to a single shock in a single geography or asset class or sector. So what we're expecting to see is, is more broadly diversified global funds. To just give you a couple of examples of what we're seeing already, we've seen, um, we've seen both multi-asset so multi-private asset funds, uh, which are incorporating a blend of private equity, infrastructure, real estate, and private debt, um, which is a very diversified global type portfolio that investors can, can invest into. But we're also seeing single asset class funds um, into, for example, renewable infrastructure, but that's also global, um, so globally over different countries. But but what's important there is they're investing into different types of technologies. So not just wind in the UK, it's global wind renewables as well as solar and some energy transition assets, things like hydrogen, for instance. So you're not exposed to any specific shock in one specific geography and technology. Um, and that's, I think, what we're likely to see in, in products going forward. And I suppose investors will be most interested in potential returns. Are we looking at a wide range of returns? The type of returns you can generate across private markets are, are a huge spectrum. So it really depends on what asset class the, the individual LTAF is investing in. Um, it goes back to the comments uh, we made in the section on sort of what are the what are the sort of drivers of, of private markets and why should you invest? Um, I think you're likely to see some products that are investing at the high risk end of the spectrum in things like private equity. And that's in that sort of area, you're looking to generate higher returns in the public markets. A lot of the time, these these um, areas will be targeting, let's say, 15% um, IRRs, um, all the way down to if you wanted to put together a, a very low risk, but very um, uh, cash flow generative and a reliable income type portfolio in real estate or or infrastructure where you would be um, more at the sort of cash plus one or two type investment. So, so I mean, that huge range of returns. And I think what we'll start to see is lots of different products that are able to, uh, which will give consumers good choice as to the types of return profiles they want to include in their portfolios. Okay, final question, James, you'll be pleased to hear. Um, I mean, as we've mentioned before at the top of the show, uh, the UK and Europe are slightly behind other countries that already have these similar type of structures in place. So, so what can the UK and Europe learn from those countries uh, when they start looking at unleashing these extra funds? Yeah, I think you're completely right. Um, if you look at 
other developed countries, there is there's definitely examples that we we see globally where uh, particularly more pensions capital is is already involved in a greater to a greater extent in private in funding private markets and and driving economic growth type um, type processes in, in that country. Um, so I think in terms of what the the LTAF um, can do, I think it, it's part of a broader pack sort of me package of measures which which are coming into the UK as so LTAFs alongside what we heard in the Mansion House reforms are all part of a broader push to try and find new pools of capital, new supply of private capital that can be invested into either innovative um, companies that are driving technological change in the UK, um, building new infrastructure that's going to help us to hit net zero targets, or, or as I said, um, in one of my other examples, fund social, social sort of addressing social inequality in the UK through things like um, affordable housing, um, or even sort of private loans um, into directly into social enterprises. So, so private capital is is vitally important. I think you see that in what the the government, the regulator, are doing in terms of addressing um, a need for private capital to to drive economic growth and productive finance in the UK. James, though, thank you so much for joining us. That was absolutely fantastic, and uh, I look forward to when the first LTAF becomes available to retail investors. I think my, I might have a dabble. I will too. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, James O, I'll speak to you soon. Well, that was the show. We very much hope you enjoyed it. If you want to find out more, please head to schroders.com forward slash insights. And we're endeavouring to record as many of these shows in the studio on video. And if you want to watch them in their full unabridged version, uh, then go to Schroder's YouTube channel. If you want to get in touch with us, it's Schroder's podcast at schroders.com. And remember, you can listen, subscribe and review the Investor Download wherever you get your podcasts. New shows drop every Thursday at 5pm UK time. But above all, keep safe and go well. Cheers. The value of investments and the income from them may go down as well as up. And investors may not get back the amounts originally invested. Past performance is not a guide to future performance. The information is not an offer, solicitation or recommendation of any funds, services or products or to adopt any investment strategy. 